Hello, and welcome to the Marvel Cinema Podcast, a home for positive fan culture, and here to talk about all things nerdy, I'm your co-host Henry. I'm your other co-host Matthew. And this week on the show, we'll be discussing a Doctor Who. Hooray! Uh, mainly because I went on a, like a, a weird sort of marathon very recently, <laughs> and I fell in love all over again, I forgot how much I liked it, and I, I needed to talk about it at some point. <laughs> um, and of course we have it. I, I think we have similar opinions, but maybe some variants here and there. Maybe um, a few details that we can fight over. Yeah, yeah, a few different doctors and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, before that, we do have an Instagram account at Marvelous Cinema Podcast. Uh, at the moment, doing a lot of rankings and stuff of TV shows and mm-hmm. movies and such. Um, but of course, you know, feel free to follow us there, give us a like, uh, get in contact any way you can. Uh, definitely going to get back to you. Um, and let us know your opinion on Doctor Who, I guess, or the news that we're about to go through. Yes, um, news. Yes, the news. A slight so, reshuffle again. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. We're constantly <laughs> changing structure, it's just the way, it's the way I operate, really. <laughs> uh, it speaks to my, my indecision. Mm. There's another slight change. Basically, I'm just trying to speed things along a little bit, because <laughs> obviously we have these big main topics, and we want to talk mm. about the main topics, but then every, every now and then... There'll be something tasty in the news. And I, yeah. just, I just feel bad. So, <laughs> we're shaking it up. And we're just gonna, I'm just going to roll through them. I'm going to give you the headlines. A tiny bit of elaboration, not too much. And then we okay. can maybe have a little bit of a discussion after we've done that. Okay, alright. <laughs> okay, so. Are you, are, you, are you ready to speed into the I'm news? ready. I'm going to give my reaction in the form of noises. Okay then, that should be good. We'll go with that. <laughs> Um, so initially, one of the things we've learned this week is that Dave Batista, oh, for God's sake, Dave Batista, when speaking to GQ magazine, has said he's grateful for his time as Drax, but that he's relieved to be done with the role. The makeup process made it difficult for him, and he and he and he, which I quote here, uh, just doesn't know if I want Drax to be my legacy. He called his performance silly, and that he wants to do more dramatic stuff. He also said that he doesn't want to be the next rock, as many people have said, with his kind of wrestling background. He just wants to be a respected actor. He also joked that if it meant doing a lead uh, role in a film by Denny Villeneuve, and yes, I do pronounce that every, differently every time I say it, <laughs> then he'd do it for free. Um, elsewhere, there's uh, some rather unexpected and interesting news developments coming out of Warner Brothers. Who else? <laughs> um, so Variety have reported that Warner Brothers execs are happy or at least willing to keep Ezra Miller on as the Flash it is worth noting that execs a delightfully vague reference were fully behind the return of Henry Cavill as Superman uh, but the decision it would seem is with DC heads James Gunn and Peter Safran like it was with Cavill um, so the execs feeling might not matter at all that's via Variety uh, on to some more straightforward news that might put a smile on people's faces. Um, an outlet called Puck News are reporting that after various negotiations, David Harbour and Winona Ryder will receive the same fee for Stranger Things 5. Oh. That'll be $9.5 million each. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the statistics for the other cast members have been revealed. Um, let's just say they're not being paid a penny. <laughs> <laughs> they're all receiving really quite a lot um, or quite a yes. bit but it is the final season and it's good to see both Harbour and, and Ryder kind of on, on the same same <clears> billing 
Um, next bit of news, next headline. Uh, James Cameron uh, has said that his Avatar sequels are going ahead as Way of the Water has become profitable, crossing nearly $1.7 billion at the worldwide box office as we speak. Interestingly, this makes James Gunn the only director to have three films that have grossed more than $1.5 billion. Uh, in an interview with HBO Max's Who's Talking with Chris Wallace podcast, James Gunn said, It looks like I can't wiggle out of this. I'm going to have to do these other sequels. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's James Cameron, being James Cameron. Um, we have only less than a week kind of before the show premieres. We've got a slight little update from uh, The Last of Us. Um, they will be adapting game one for season one and then hope to do game two for season two. Um, this is kind of relevant because Druckmann in an interview with The Hollywood Reporter has said that him and Craig Mazin don't want to go further than the games because they want to avoid a Game of Thrones situation. <laughs> right, I see. Um, further behind the scenes stuff, Tim Miller, as reported by Deadline, will take over from Eli Roth on Lionsgate's live-action adaptation of Borderlands, the video game. He will take over two weeks of reshoots um, with the, the kind of the reason that Eli Roth isn't returning to do the reshoots is because it was a really hectic schedule to get all the actors in the same place and getting all the actors they needed in the same place meant they couldn't get the director in the same place. Good to know that Lionsgate have the priorities right. Um, the film also stars Kate Blanchett, um, Hayley Bennett, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Hart, Jack Black and others. Kind of to round up, there have been a few casting things that have come out this week. Um, after some reportedly quite intense um, casting processes, Paul Mescal has been cast as the lead role in Ridley Scott's Gladiator sequel. Tim Blake Nelson has joined the cast of June 2 in an undisclosed role, and Nicolas Cage will not return as Spider-Man Noir in Across the Spider-Verse. On a, uh, on a slightly happier note, Jeremy Renner seems to be recovering well after his surgeries, well enough to post marketing for Mayor of Kingstown anyway. <laughs> right, okay, well that's good. <laughs> yeah, that so that kind stuff. of uh, that brings the news kind of to the end. There are a few more little strange things that I picked up on that, you know, I think might be worth noticing. Um, actor Edward Norton, via extensive genealogy work, has found out that his 12th great-grandmother is Pocahontas. What? Ryan Johnson says that he likes to build enormous and elaborate Lego sets while editing his films because otherwise he'd drive himself and his editor mad at physically not being able to do anything. You are welcome. <laughs> I mean, that's a, not a bad habit, I guess. That's no? creative in a sense. <laughs> but yeah, Edward Norton's related to Pocahontas. Who'd have that, that is surprising, and I, I could not have predicted any part of that sentence, really. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to say something about the Hulk or something like that, but no, mm. poor nope. Quantus. Some mm-hmm. sort of vague relation there. That's great to know. <laughs> yeah. That's in, out on the internet forever. Good, good. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's any of those headlines you particularly want to talk about. Um, well, I guess with the, the first one with Dave Batista, I, I do understand that. I think, mm. I think out of all the wrestlers turned actors, I think he's my favourite in terms of just the variance of things that he does mm-hmm. um, he's very good at comedy but also can generally do drama quite well um, so yeah I, and I do feel like as much as I love 
Guardians 2 and from what I've seen of the third film and obviously the holiday special, mm-hmm. I, I do feel like Drax after, after the first one is a bit kind of <coughs> like, uh, like a, jo- a one-joke machine sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, there are definitely moments where he gets more time to shine, but I always feel like he's not on the the priority list in those movies, which is not a terrible thing for the movies, but I think just for that character by itself, mm. I can understand why he'd want to move on pretty soon. I probably it, will, because it, it's the last one. <laughs> yeah, he did mention in the interview that he kind of feels like they've not handled the character that well. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think, as you said, after the first one, I, I kind of understand people wanting to criticise that character and how kind of the role that character fills in terms of mainly being like a gag machine, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, considering the amount of characters that film has to balance, I feel like it does an alright job, probably. Yeah, I, I feel like even Dave Bautista would probably admit that, mm. you know, it it makes sense that he's not the, like the main focus of every movie. Yeah. Um, and that they're not making, or at least currently are making a Drax TV show or something like that. Um, <laughs> I mean, they could, but... <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I definitely I, see that. I, I definitely... I also think it's particularly clear in the way that he's kind of handled in the, in the Infinity War. Yeah. Because yeah. the only really thing he does is that whole invisibility thing. Yeah, just that, just a few little us. comments. And it's kind of strange as well, because I feel like for that actor, he must have been quite excited for the, the future, kind of, I might meet Thanos and have that whole sort of mm, thing where yeah. he, killed, he killed my family, essentially. And the fact that that doesn't really get much time, if any, mm. to kind of be at the forefront. I think he might mention it once in the middle of an action scene, but other than that, it's kind of not... Yeah, there's a bit... Yeah, I would agree that he is underutilised. Um, and with, with roles like in Dune and uh, Knives Out even recently, um, he he can do quite a lot. And I feel like he's uh, he's kind of surprising because with mm. wrestlers turned actors, you kind of assume that they're just going for like a brand, which I yeah. would associate The Rock with. He's sort of more of a brand than an actor. Um, mm. So, yeah, I quite like the idea that he's generally wanting to be an actor and not just, mm. you know, making a new brand. Yeah, I think there's a lot, lot to kind of respect about what he's trying to do. And I, and I would actually argue as well that kind of in recent years, I would want to kind of give a bit of credit to John Cena because mm. I kind of I watched Peacemaker fairly recently and he's really good in that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, I, I understand why Dave Bautista wants what, what he's talking about because, you know, I think he's been given a chance by a lot of directors and he has proven that, you know, he can... He can put in those performances that he's talking about. I always yeah. come back to like because he's, he's important in that kind of opening scene in Blade Runner, in the Blade mm. Runner sequel, and that's yeah. kind of it's important because it, it sets the entire kind of tension and the entire tone for the for the film. Yeah, and he, he does a really good job in that. Yeah, and I think that was the first time I ever. I think I, yeah, I think that's the first time I ever saw him do something that wasn't Drax. Mm. <laughs> so. I never seen that, and I think you know. I think you can't help but when you see a wrestler turned actor, or something like that, or something like a very comedic sort of actor from known mm. for one role, it is definitely hard when you initially see them in, in a more dramatic role to kind of not kind mm. of find it somewhat funny because it's a bit weird. But I remember having that moment and having it very quickly just go away, which I thought was surprising mm. looking back on it, just that he could you know pretty much nail it. I think. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I get it with that. Um, James Cameron and the Avatar sequels, I'm very happy about that. Happy um, days. 
I, I, I am surprised because I was a bit worried just in general that the movies wouldn't continue to make Avatar one level like uh, mm. box office. I suspected over a billion, but the fact that it went above like the one billion five hundred mark mm. is is very, you know. I mean, I'm talking about you know a, a movie franchise and being like happy for it for getting money, but you know, it's it's nice that it's going. To, it has that audience still, and people went out to see it. And yeah, I think because we kind of we don't forget, but we kind of uh, it's been sort of. Mm, a year or so since the theaters like were kind of in and out of being closed down. Um, yeah, and the films have made a billion since then, but I feel like Avatar coming back and making this much money is really like a confirmation of cinema's back, baby. Like that sort of <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing, which is nice because um, otherwise I would have been a bit worried. Um, but yeah, I think it's I am looking forward to it very much. These sequels. Mm, yeah, um, Ezra Miller. <laughs> okay. I I totally lost track of what he's doing. Um, <laughs> I think that's for the best. Yeah, because last I heard, I just reacted to it like, "Oh my god, he's crazy," and <laughs> and everything I see of them now, both before I knew it was crazy and after, um, it it all it all has the air of this. Yeah, we should be worried about this guy. Um, mm. And yeah, so I I do not um, I am not envious of the position that the people that making the Flash were are in, mm. where how do you release this film <laughs> at all? Yeah, yeah I think because there, there were also a few things that were coming out in the last few weeks saying that saying that execs are actually quite excited about the Flash film, uh, so much so that it got the um, it got the tag that every upcoming DC film gets. Where you see the headlines that say, "Execs think it's the best DC film since The Dark Knight." Dark Knight, yeah. <laughs> it's the tag that, honestly, it's not even an exaggeration. Every every DC film that releases, every DC film that's pretty good gets the tagline of "the yeah. best since Dark Knight." <laughs> so yeah, I think even The Dark Knight Rises got that. The best since Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't know then what kind of a, a joke it would become. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's um, that's kind of the news. Um, although yeah. there is one kind of tiny bit that kind of feeds into what we're doing today. Okay. Um, the new season of Doctor Who, so not the specials, the new next new season has started yeah. filming. Mm, yeah. Very exciting, because I keep on seeing... Because now I've, just, I've Googled, you know... Doctor Who so many times or oh, that my Google News feed is just <laughs> Doctor Who things. So I've seen so many um, set uh, photos and such and things like that. And I may or may have not have seen the, the, the video that I got taken down of the new TARDIS set. Um, which <laughs> which looked very good. I, I think with me and TARDIS sets, which probably we'll talk about in, in a minute, but um, with me and TARDIS sets, I like the bigger they are the better. Like the more like levels like to it, yeah. like the different floors. I think that just, I think it gets across the scope of what's inside a lot better than just like a single floor does. No. Um, so yeah, I, I love the idea of what that TARDIS might be. I mean, I may or may not have watched the video, but I'm just saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> what it might be looks good, maybe. <laughs> Would you like to get stuck into to, to, to the, the meaty discussion then? I would. 
yes. <laughs> do you want to kind of do um, this chronologically and start with the beginning? With not not obviously not right at the beginning, but the <laughs> the beginning in two thousand and five with mm. uh, Russell T two thousand and six even. Yeah. <laughs> beginning in two thousand and six with Russell T Davies, Christopher Eccleston, and um, Billy Piper. Yeah, um, I think it was 2005 actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Was it 2005? Right I've got 2006 yeah, yeah. written in front of me. Oh. <laughs> but I, sure listen, I, I could have sworn it was. Yeah, 2005. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes Stupid sense. Stupid IMDb. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think yeah. So yeah, just like a, a background of me and Doctor Who, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds very weird. Um, I yeah, I watched this show. For the first time properly, like actually watched it, I went through the entire thing as it was at the time. Um, when I was 18, I think, when I came to university, and I just really loved the show, and I thought it was it was very relaxing viewing at the time, kind of just a very, I, I loved the Doctor and each actor that kind of did the role, and I liked the tone. Even like the episodes that weren't so great, I still was like, ah, it's, it's Doctor Who, it's good. Like, I still really enjoyed it. And for some reason, post actually like finishing it, and the new series that was coming out at the time, I kind of just lost track of it somehow, and whenever I think back to watching Doctor Who at that time in my life, I would, I would always go, oh yeah, there was that three or so months where I was really into Doctor Who, um, and I kind of thought it was a bit strange. And then, because of the, the very recent uh, development of uh, David Tennant coming back and him actually popping up at the very last minute of the the recent finale. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of came back to my brain again, like, oh, yeah, I remember loving the show and I kind of lost track of it. So I decided to do a whole, or watch through again, because I couldn't, I remember things and pieces and what I liked about it, but I couldn't really tell you specific episodes, I guess, anymore. <laughs> um, so I went back to watch it quite recently, uh, I think like October, November time. Um, and yeah, just, again, I just fell in love even more, and I think it, I, I think it just became one of my favourite kind of fictional characters and worlds or galaxies really because it's just it's just it's just a weird and daunting concept as like a writer that you know you're given a character who's ageless in some ways um, Mm. and can travel across space and time the entirety of it um, is so smart he's smarter than everyone else in, in the universe um, and has vague powers at, at times. <laughs> um, so it's it's just a daunting writing task. That's a gift and a curse of like you have you can do anything, but also doing anything is so like, oh, what what do I do? <laughs> um, sort of thing. So I think yeah, and I think when it, the show came back two thousand five and had this revival, um, I think the best thing that that opening series does with Chris Eccleston and Russell T Davis writing it. Um, or show running it um, is really grounding it for the first season. Um, mm. I, I think when you look back on that first season, it's it's not fully you know wacky Doctor Who in different planets across time and space. It's more London <laughs> across time, um, and I think that works really well for it. And yeah, what do you think of the, the first series and what did that kind of how what stood out to you about that first series? I think, similar to what you said in that it's, I, I think it has, it doesn't have a bad start. Mm. I just think it doesn't necessarily hit the ground running. 
But mm, yeah. it's them. It's that last set of episodes in that first series. Mm. It's kind of like you know they've, they've come back. Like you said, they've had this really daunting task of really trying to breathe new life into something that has previously been around for for decades and had kind of kind of lost a lot of its popularity as it came to the end of its run. You know, mm. trying to bring it back, and it's something that. As a show as well, it's something that just doesn't get made on the BBC. To say that it's the kind of show that is like a BBC, like a primetime British network original, it's a really strange thing. Like if you turn the TV on the night, it's detective drama after detective drama after maybe a school drama. Yeah. But any whiff of sci-fi, and it's just it's just not happening. And to bring, kind of bring that back and try and find that audience for it again after, I think it was 10, 15 years since the last, because they did a TV film, I think. Yeah, there was like a 90s film. I think, I want to say, I could be wrong, but I think the last episode was like 89. Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's kind of, it, it, it's a difficult landing to stick, and I think it, it has a bit of a teething period where you're kind of getting used to, to what the show's going to be about and it's still finding itself a little bit. But then when you do get that last set of episodes, Bad Wolf, all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, it really does get good. And I think... It does, yeah. One of the things for me was, similar to you in that I sort of rewatched it when I got to uni, because there was, it was kind of, kind of... For me, it kind of came back into to focus with when Jodie Whittaker took over, because Jodie Whittaker... <laughs> it's kind of a weird story, because my whole family were weirdly hyped about Jodie Whittaker being cast as the Doctor, because she's from the same place in in, in Yorkshire as where my family are. <laughs> so there was kind of this big hype of, it's a, it's a Doctor, she's from Wakefield. And, <laughs> and, and, and so there was that big hype, so I kind of... We, we kind of re-watched, we started watching it when she came onto the onto the scene. And so I kind of went back and I didn't actually watch all of um, Christopher Eccleston's episodes. I just kind of, because I seem to remember vaguely the, the last kind of few with the, you know, with the game shows and, and I think that they're in Bad Wolf, not in the final episode, but they're in Bad Wolf. Yeah. And I kind of watched them thinking, yeah, this is, this is a really good place to get into it. And I can understand this is kind of the perfect way to end that, that finale. And I think you kind of look back on Christopher Eccleston's reign and you think he didn't, you know, he doesn't get as long as many of the other Doctors. He only had that one season. But I still think he has some really iconic episodes that live long in my memory. Um, and even kind of in this early season, you think about it maybe being slow to get going. There's a lot of characters and a lot of concepts that are introduced in that season that do go on to become like staples of of the whole series. There's the Slavine, there's uh, Captain Jack Harkness is introduced. Mm, um, yeah. it, it, it's, it's weird to me that he was genuinely just a pilot <laughs> when he gets introduced and then he just becomes immortal. Because yeah. why not? Stop um, it. Yeah, it's Doctor Who. And I think... I'm sure we'll get to kind of Doctors and their final episodes, their final scenes, the final things they say. But I always get weirdly sentimental about Christopher Eccleston's kind of last few episodes in that 
he sometimes is forgotten with kind of when you see rankings of doctors it's normally people fighting between Tennant and Smith mm. and I kind of feel bad for the ways in which Christopher Eccleston is kind of not dismissed but isn't as focused on as the others yeah. but I think there was a lot on his shoulders for bringing this back and I think he does a really exceptional job and I always remember and it always always gets me a bit um, just that kind of little monologue that Chris Rexon gets right at the end mm. where he says um, like he, 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 gives, he gives kind of what would become the typical version of kind of like kind of lessons for, for Rose to take on board but then he just kind of ends it by saying you know I, I kind of I loved being me yeah, yeah which he just says with he delivers the line with such joy he does yeah <laughs> and it never fails to get me mm. yeah I think yeah I think with that sort of run the early season uh, with that Christopher Eccleston I feel like he is He's definitely the. It feels like a purposeful move casting him mm. and casting. And also the costume as well. I feel like everything that goes into that character is very much kind of indicative of it's a reboot that's trying to get an audience that might be going, oh, it's Doctor Who that, you know, that weird sci fi show that turned out to mm. be really bad or whatever. I don't know, dated effects or whatever it might be that people have in their mind going in. Mm-hmm. And I think once you see Christopher Eccleston, who is, yes, playing the Doctor and therefore is playing it very, not very, but quite every once in a while, quite flamboyant and a bit kooky and weird and all that mm. sort of thing. Um, it is still him and it is still his very northern voice that you got to keep doing it. Um, yeah. And he has a... I just love the, the outfit. The outfit by itself, I feel, is such a statement. Because um, mm. when you think of the Doctor, you, you think of, like, like frilly shirts and scarves and uh, a hat or uh, an umbrella sort of thing or a bow tie. You think of something a bit out there, a bit kind of not quite a costume, but on the border of being a costume. Mm. Um, but with with this sort of run, it's very much a guy in a leather jacket uh, just going about and doing his best. And and I think as well what this show does really well, kind of a soft reboot almost, is this implication that in between 89 and 2005, in the, at, least, you know, at least the break in between um, the show, there was a history of things that happened, including the time war. Um, mm. So I think I kind of almost, when I found out that that wasn't a thing previous to the reboot, I always thought that it was a part of the law and not a new thing. So when I found so that out I. that it was a... <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was part of the character. Um, mm. And I, But I think that war and its effect on him is so like intrinsic to what makes the character great that I struggle to imagine him without that. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's really quite strange when to think about the Doctor who hasn't had this big war and this big kind of defining chapter in his life. Um, and I think with Christopher Eccleston, you can feel the sort of the freshness of that war having just ended essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think yeah, I think literally just ended because. Yeah, John Hurt turns it to him after stopping it, I think, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah, it's literally just stopped. And you can't even remember that he didn't do it, I think. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, I, I struggle to imagine the Doctor about that big, you know, backstory thing. And I think it's such a, a great tool and a great arc for the character, especially mm. early on when it's so present when it comes to the Daleks and how he kind of 
has this moral sort of this moral like crisis of like I you know I've killed a lot and I swore I'd never do it again and yet I'm being threatened with the return of my enemy and I'm gonna do it again <laughs> and what does that make like what does that make me <laughs> um, and I think I think as well like you're saying I think the show it starts off starts off really good don't get me, like the first episode of Riff Roars and the Slytherine I think there are some wobbly bits to it and a bit kind of I think there's some weird tonal things to it a bit mm. it's kind of like is it you know a goofy comedy sort of thing or is it you know a TV for you know young adults or whatever like it's kind of in between ch- children's program and young adults program at that time I would say mm. and, but I think as it goes along it gets better and better when you get to the episode with the Dalek and then you get to um, the empty child with the the, the gas mask um, sort of uh, children and are you my mommy yeah that which is just I think instantly this became iconic and I think that sort of cemented it into pop culture because mm. I think people probably went to school the next day and were saying that and <laughs> talking about that um, so I think that had a lot to do with the success and then going yeah into the finale with um, this kind of oncoming Dalek war and this big sort of moment where the Doctor and Rose kind of have to reckon with what the Doctor actually is. And I think as well, we haven't really talked about it yet, but Rose is very important to the new beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it kind of... There are some companions from what I know previous to Rose that are quite grounded and realistic and relatable and have an art to speak of, but they're not... I think from what I know, they weren't quite as the, f- the focus of the show as mm. she gets to be here. Because I think what this show does very, very well um, uh, from the reveal onwards is that the Doctor isn't really the main character sometimes. Mm. It's kind of the companion and we see the Doctor through their eyes. And I think Rose is the perfect person to do that with for the first kind of run through uh, getting back to the show. Um, because he's so, I mean, her opening montage is so like day to day London having a job and mm. uh, having chips with her boyfriend and all that sort of thing. It's very, it's very much not how you would expect a Doctor Who episode to start. It's very, it's very like a, a slice of life almost thing. And it's, I think the character remains relatable throughout the entire her entire run at least. I would say, mm. um, she has very honest and very. London-esque reactions to things that are very funny. Um, but, yeah, and I think she's very important to the show's success uh, coming back. And then... Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then I think it's so... Yeah, like you said before, I think it's a, a big shame in some ways that Eccleston doesn't get quite the same sort of recognition, even though he was a big part of coming back. Um, mm. Even myself, like, even... When I think of the doctors and trying to like organise which one I like the most or which episode's the best or whatever, I do kind of I don't forget that he exists, but I definitely kind of leave him for last to think about. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is a shame because he's he's very very good and yeah I I wish we got more, but from what I gather, aside from some mixed reports on behind the scenes troubles, mm. I believe the plan was always to have him there for one season. Um, yeah, I'm not, I think that was a plan at least. Um, yeah, I seem to remember that as well. The idea is that he kind of fell out with them, mm. but, and that led to them kind of recasting him. But as far as I'm aware, the the official story goes that he, they they always were meant 
to bring in another actor afterwards. Yeah. Because as well, I think they were meant to. They, were, they tried to keep it a secret, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It, it ended up getting out there, as things mm. do. Um, but it was meant to be a surprise when he regenerated into David Tennant. Yeah, I think because I think it makes sense as well to kind of in your first season end it on another big defining chapter of the character, which is that he constantly changes via this process. Mm, yeah. Um, it makes sense to do that and to have it be a surprise and have a new actor. But I think. I, and it does also make sense that well, you wouldn't say that to the press or anything like that because people are going to be watching the show now going, well, why get invested in this guy because he's going to be out in a few minutes. Like, what? Yeah. like I get why they wouldn't tell anyone, and I think it's a big shame that it kind of came out in this very weird way. Um, and then, yeah, I think season one is mostly pretty good, uh, sometimes very great, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is definitely like a... It's like a... I think tonally the most is kind of like what are we doing yeah. <laughs> let's figure out what we're doing along the way and it does eventually get there um but then we have <laughs> david tennant and rusty davis and rose in season two mm-hmm. and just an improvement i don't think it's my favorite season of david tennant and i think it's kind of a bit i would say in some ways it's kind of weaker than the first season um Okay. Yeah, I just think not because of David Tennant. I think he's immediately amazing. It's like his first mm. episode is so good, and he's barely in it. He's kind of asleep for most of it. Mm. Um, but as soon as he's on screen and doing his thing, he like it's clear that he's thought about playing this role for about ten years. <laughs> and yeah. Just knows what to do. Mm. Um, but I just think watching that season. It, there's a lot of greatness in it and especially near the end of it again but I feel like I think Rose gets a bit less interesting because I think she gets so used to like being around the Doctor and all the the weird mm. things happening and I think they're so they're so happy together it's sort of like weird to be annoyed at this but they're so happy together and so like loved up um, that it kind of borders on like kind of dissolving the tension sometimes um, there are definitely moments in certain episodes where I'm like this, is, this should be terrifying and scary and all that but because the Doctor and Rose are so friendly and so happy to speak together and it's like oh yeah this is another day doing our thing it's sort of just like oh well why should I yeah. <laughs> care that much um, that being said there's a lot of greatness in that and I think as well the finale to that season is, is heartbreaking because oh the yeah they get the way they get ripped apart essentially is just my mum still hasn't gotten over that <laughs> she still she still talks about it this very day she's forgotten what happens ultimately with, with the Doctor and Rose all she can mm. remember is them being stuck on either side of that wall yeah it's just like what a great concept but it's just a heartbreaking one um, mm. I think as well kind of sets a tone for don't expect the companions and the Doctor to always keep on going yeah um, true because I think, because I do think as well, around the time of Rose and the Doctor, I do think because of everyone was new to, new to the show, they thought, oh, to use like the second main character, so it's going to be here the entire time. Yeah. Um, and I think having this sort of early on kind of goodbye to the character, it very much is kind of also just for the character of the Doctor. I find that a huge part of his character is that he meets so many people and falls in love or becomes best friends with people and then has to lose them because. You can't really maintain his lifestyle, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think that's just a great element of the character. So I think it's, in, 
caught in a get that across quite early on. Um, yeah, and yeah, and I think season two, I I like quite a lot, and I think the Lieutenant is definitely the highlight of it. Um, but it's definitely not my favourite of that Russell T Davis run. I don't think. Mm. Um, yeah, I think for me this kind of this series, this this kind of sequence of three seasons with David Tennant is what I often think of when it comes to Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think there's always coming back to it. There's always that the power of nostalgia, in that you kind of imagine the whole thing was perfect. Um, yeah. When in reality, given given it, it's kind of inherent in the monster of the week format they have that yeah. you know some episodes aren't going to be as knockout as some of the others are. Um, and I, I do think you get the, that that sense, especially in kind of the second season, especially maybe from like the following on from kind of the first season and the fact that what I didn't mention before is that the first season for me kind of feels like they knew they knew the big set piece they had and they had the kind of the big emotional beats that they had at the end of the season and then it mm. kind of they almost kind of had to build up to that if you know what I mean yeah yeah and so coming into this season I think there are still kind of that there is that kind of sense of still getting used to and still building into this format of week by week, then building into the, the big events at the end. Um, and I think two of kind of the big, biggest examples from this are um, there's, there's, there's the episodes that, again, my parents always come to because, you know, I was a kid when I was watching this. Looking at, at the, um, the dates, 2006, I would have been six. So, you know, it's kind of something I watch with my parents. And again, something they always kind of come back to is um, the episode called Love and Monsters. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which they just, re- which kind of they, they kind of refer to in their world with, you know, they're not as. They haven't gone to film, they didn't do film at university and what have you. <laughs> but even they're kind of aware that that episode isn't, isn't as good as some of the others. Yeah, and it is that kind of example of as well with that episode. You have these two kind of big, big names when it comes to British TV, and Mark Warren and Peter Kay, yeah, um, yeah. who aren't as utilised as best as they could be, and it's just an episode that just doesn't really work. Yeah, it kind of um, falls flat a bit. Yeah, and that. But that being said, you know this run of of three three seasons with David Tennant is. Always, what I think of Doctor Who, it's the things I keep coming back to, mm. um, and I think what immensely helps with that is, like you said, the idea that David Tennant clearly comes into this knowing what he's going to do, and I think throughout all the actors that have played the Doctor, I think he's the one, he's probably the only one that starts off and absolutely hits the ground running, mm. like he comes in in that first episode, and that is, is very much the same spot-on mannerisms that he has for the rest of his run. Yeah. You know, he comes in and is straight away, he is the Doctor and he is, he is his Doctor. Mm. And that, that combination of Tennant and Russell T. Davies is, is perfect beyond words. Um, yeah, I it's... think just the two of them is a real stars-aligning moment where everything just comes together and the stories they end up telling you know, are excellent. And there are, there are some seriously heavy hitters in terms of episodes even in this this series and mm. one I had com- almost completely forgotten about um, until you put it in your ranking that you did on Instagram in the the girl in the fireplace yeah and it's another episode where again my parents weren't actually that keen on it because they were kind of a bit I don't know if they were a bit confused or just a bit 
found it a bit too strange. But when watching it on kind of on rewatch, um, what would be about three years ago now, I was just kind of wow. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of that that visual of him coming through the glass on the horse. <laughs> oh yeah, it's amazing. I think as well as the as well in the early uh, Stephen Moffat written episodes. Yeah. It's, it, it? Yeah, it has the Moffat mark. <laughs> it has the Moffat. It has a, the tiny whiny. It has the, you know, these one of companion sort of things. Um, that big reveal uh, yeah. moment where you kind of finally understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. And I think I love also the villain design. I think as well. Like I think Doctor Who villains and the Monster of the Week can be a bit hit and miss. But I think when you when you get it right, you get it really right. And I think that one is a perfect example. Um, the sort of robot in the the French sort of uh, mm. attire, um, and I think yeah, I I, I think as well because he had, I think in, if going forward in um, Russell T Davis run, I think every season has at least one episode by Stephen Moffat, and those episodes are usually my favorite of those seasons, mm. <laughs> um, which is strange and kind of uh, yeah, I think I just love the way he approaches the Doctor. I think mm. his his sort of understanding of why are we only playing with the setting and not with time is mm-hmm. is a great idea, um, and I think I think he's probably the the writer who most aligns with my idea of the Doctor, which is this idea that it's more of a fairy tale fantasy than anything else. Yeah. Um, I think for me the mo- the thing that I love the most about the Doctor is this idea of a, a traveler uh, who just happens to be at every. Uh, sort of big event and fixing things not really a hero sometimes not even a good person but a guy who just goes about doing his best and mm. I think there's a fairy tale like quality to that especially when you get in, get him together with a character who has no idea what's going on and is sort of seeing the universe through his eyes um, I think yeah and I think he understands that understands that the most and I think combining him with Russell T. Davis in particular where the character writing and the drama doesn't get lost within the tiny wimey and the weirdness. Um, it kind of it works at its best when they're together, I think. Um, mm. And I think every season that he has an episode in this era is some of my favorite, definitely. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, I think it's season two overall is a bit like a what the show could be when it's great and what the show could be when it's not so great mm. at the same time. Um, it has the ending, the doomsday, and it has girl in the fireplace, but it also has love and monsters and fear her, <laughs> which is mm. a very weird one as well. It's um, it's it's the kind of thing that you do get with this kind of format in that you don't you just you don't get episodes like the girl in the fireplace without risking episodes like fear her and love and monsters. Yeah, it's just the nature of it. It's the you have to aim big, and that. You know, when you've got an episode, a season of thirteen episodes, and you kind of you're going big for all of them, and you're really trying to do something special, you are going to end up with ones that don't work. It's just kind of the yeah. nature of it. And in all honesty, if it's a kind of show like that, and there aren't the really low-rated episodes and the really high-rated episodes, I kind of question if they did it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind <laughs> of, it kind of shows that with the kind of ambition they've got and that kind of vision in that they are prepared to take those risks in order to get them really high peaks of of what the show can be. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's, I mean, it's hard enough to get one good script and one good final yeah. TV show or movie out. Yeah. So to have to do that 12 or so times over every year, mm. there's going to be one or two that don't quite match the rest of the, the episodes that you do. Um, yeah. You, your, you know, your mind and your, you know, your concentration is going to be split across twelve different stories mm-hmm. at any given time. Yeah. Um, and and kind of one other thing I was going to mention is that, you know, I mentioned these the kind of three series are the ones that um, I often think of, and it's not it, it, it's not necessarily just like Ten and Russell T Davis in, it's Moffat as well. Mm, it's all yeah. three of them. <laughs> yeah. um, kind of Moffat obviously goes on to become a showrunner after Russell T Davis goes, but it's like it is the perfect combination of the three of them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think, and as well with Russell T, Russell T Davis and David Tennant, I feel like he's one of those actors and one of those actor and um, writer pairs where you can't imagine someone saying their lines better than it, like better. Um, mm. They feel like they're a writer made for the actor almost. Um, yeah. I think the same when I think of like Shane Black and Rob Downey Jr. Like it, they're just perfect in terms of like pairings and um, getting I guess someone to say the words. Um, yeah. From, like it, it just makes sense of the pairing. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I think this season it's strong, but it kind of uh, it's all it's a bit up and down sometimes. And I think Rose, for me, kind of whilst it has a great ending, I feel like. Her inclusion kind of wears a bit thin for me going mm. up into that season, because yeah. um, I feel like it, her arc's almost finished and she's just kind of around having a good time. Um, so yeah, it's a good season, but not the best. Mm. I would say. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I think I think I would agree with you. I think it's definitely part of that that scope for me of of, of the highlights because I just love that kind of early that earliness and that getting to know the show feel to it that it still has there's a kind yeah. of weird nostalgia for me that's attached to that but yeah I, I think I think I do agree yeah um, I think well going forward in season three I think it's I, I think of the season as it's the um, the underrated season I think because hmm. I, I think people yeah. look back on it and kind of go oh yeah you know David Hamill had a great run but when we talk about that we, we were talking about season four and, and all that sort of thing and Donna hmm. And that is totally true. That is a great season. We'll get to it, but I feel like this third season is the, like the underrated sort of the real, you know, when the show really hit the ground running and did it properly. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just feel like this season gets it better, um, and I think as well that I think Martha is one of the most underrated companions ever, and I'm I'm very unhappy with how she's kind of not talked about almost sometimes. Mm. Yeah. Um, because looking back, I was kind of like, oh yeah, there's there's Rose, then there's Martha, then there's Donna. I kind of thought, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait to get to Donna. I, I, I can't remember how I feel about uh, Martha. And then I just watched her first episode with the Doctor, and I was like, oh, she's great. She's like... She is. <laughs> it, she's able to keep up with him, and is also similarly kind of like a, a character who is very relatable. Mm. It's kind of a, a good mix and a very different vibe. I think the one thing holding a character back is that for some reason they give her this weird sort of uh, uh, love that she has for the Doctor that's yeah. you know given back. Yeah. And I just think it's just a shame. I don't. It doesn't need that as part of the character. Um, mm. and it's kind of weird because you want to move on and fall in love with this new character, but the show is almost 
constantly saying, but whenever Rose, <laughs> like, like for some reason the show can't get over Rose um, quite yeah. a bit. And I feel like that kind of goes to the detriment of that character. But this season, I feel like it just, it starts off pretty good. It, you know, has its really fun Monster of the Week episodes. And then I think it just, it just gets so good near the end. <laughs> um, it gets, mm. I'd say, some of the most, like, genuinely, like, adrenaline-inducing, like, terror <laughs> of Doctor Who is those final episodes of the with the Master and the Doctor. Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, yeah. One other kind of more general thing. Shout out to this season for having probably the best example of before they were famous. In mm, that yeah. This has two episodes where uh, Andrew Garfield is just there. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> it is. I didn't know this. I'd forgotten. And I mm. kind of watched the episode and was like, no. That's yeah. Not. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god, he's there. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I I agree with you in that it's it hits a level of consistency that the previous two seasons didn't. Mm. Um, like a, more of a fluidity. Um, I do agree. I do quite like Martha. I think again, the romance does kind of hold it back a little bit. I think it's something that it's something that for some reason feels strange waters for Doctor Who. Yeah, like it's kind of the undercurrent of. We feel like we should give her him a love interest. Should we give him a love interest? Should we not? Um, <laughs> yeah, and it is, it's, it's kind of a difficult way to negotiate. Um, I feel like kind of there's, there's, there's obviously there's the connection between him and Rose, hmm. and then the kind of try to continue it with Martha. And I think that's why it's almost such a relief when you know when we do get to Donna. Yeah, that yeah. she doesn't love him, and they are just like two bickering friends. Yeah, I think that I think without Donna, I think it was running at risk with the David Tennant era, where he's never going to have a companion that he can just be a friend with. Like it was, yeah. it was becoming this weird sort of trend. Even with like one-off companions, they were were usually romantically interested in them, mm. and I feel like that was kind of a a, a deal, not a deal breaker, like a, a kind of a, a groundbreaking moment for the show where Rose became like a love interest because. Mm. Previous to that, there was no Doctor companion sort of romance going on, um, and I think it works for Rose. But I think going forward, having everyone he meets be like very much in love with him, and I I get it. It's, it's David Tennant, and it, he's like a spaceman, <laughs> whatever. But like, it's kind of it kind he's of a sexy runs a bit. <laughs> he is, yeah, he is that Doctor. I love whenever because whenever I hear like interviews with um, David Tennant or Russell D Davis, when they define that doctor, it, it, one of the words it always go is the sexy one. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I mean, yeah, that's true, but, <laughs> um, and yeah, I think without Donna, it kind of, I'm glad that Donna's there to, you know, just be an actual best friend and not something more. Um, and yeah, I think, I think for me, the highlight of the season, even though I do love the, like, kind of, well, Blink, obviously, and then the finale, kind of three-parter uh, mm-hmm. with the master coming back. I think for me the highlight of this season is actually uh, human nature and the family of blood. Yeah. Because um, I just think this is a great concept, and I think it's very well handled. The the idea that the the doctor, due to like plot reasons, has to become human uh, for a time, and totally forgets who he is, and you know mm. that this doctor that he dreams of is actually him and a real person. And I think it's just such a 
a weirdly like lovely two-part episode where it's just like what this man could have but can't have ever because mm. of what he, what he is he's this infinite being and the like the really like depressing part of that is that everyone else dies <laughs> um and i think i think it comes later on but this sort of idea that i think one of the i think like maybe clara says to him that to like to from your viewpoint i've both haven't been born and i've been dead for millennia like this very weird sort of like viewpoint that he has that means mm. you can't get attached for very long and the sort of any romance that he does has a sort of doomed sort of thing um and i think this episode gets that across so well and i think also i, I just like the villains i think they're so kind of they're not some like the most interesting visually but i think just their their, their general creepiness <laughs> and weird posh accents from one of them is very mm-hmm. very kind of unsettling and strange mm-hmm. um yeah, so I think that for me is the highlight of this season. And I honestly, when it when it comes to like low notes for this season, I struggle to really pick one. I mean, I don't, I don't love Forty Two, the one with the heat, <laughs> the sun <laughs> in space. Um, I, I'm trying yeah, to remember. yeah, there's. <clears throat> I think it's actually a, a Chibnall one, but <laughs> we'll get to that later. Oh, it is! It is really like Chris Chibnall. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> oh. But other than that. I don't really have like a, a low note to really point to, I don't think. Um, yeah. For you, I mean, for you, how do you feel about the season? Because I think, I think, yeah, I think people look back on this season as the moment it became like a cultural phenomenon, even though it was already pretty popular. Yeah, I think Blink, Blink in that regard did a lot for it. And I understand yeah. it. It is, it is quite frankly, a banger of an episode. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> to use the, the kids' lingo. Um, <laughs> It's kind of that perfect Monster of the Week format episode in that it just it has that strangeness to it and it kind of has that one-off companion thing you mentioned before kind mm. of thing with um, Carrie Mulligan's character and it just kind of yeah it, it introduces one of the most chilling villains in kind of Doctor Who catalogue that kind of idea of just tinkering and trying new things with the villains it really kind of comes true, and I love how kind of from that moment onward, the, the Weeping Angels kind of become Moffat's baby. You know what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody uses them like Stephen Moffat uses them. Yeah, in um, fact, it's very is... weird to imagine him not writing them and someone else yeah. writing them. <laughs> yeah, um, that's why I think they appear in, a, in an episode with Chibnall. Um, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's very strange. That it is <laughs> um, but yeah, kind of blink. Then there's um, there's the there's the one where they're in the forest with Matt Smith, and then there's there's kind of the absolute gut punch one with Matt Smith, which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, blink is this kind of massive cultural monolith in terms of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, and then kind of following that, it kind of. I think when people talk about it, it kind of gets mistaken, uh, kind of often overlooked by how enormous Blink is. But that kind of the Utopia sound of drums that obviously is a three part, but those two, the ending of Utopia and the big kind of the entirety of the sound of the drums, that is just exquisite. I can't describe yeah. it any other way. I absolutely adore that. It's so um, good. Obviously, the, the concept of the pocket watches is kind of introduced with the the run you mentioned with Human Nature and Family of Blood. Mm. But I just think in Utopia and the Sound of Drums, 
I just that that transition of um, Derek Jacobi's character and just the banging, the constant kind of backing noise that fills it up. I can. I don't even need to be watching it. I can feel it. Yeah. Just in yeah. my memory, I can feel what that's like as he's kind of holding the pocket watch. And I think kind of when you do something like that and you have this really good, really interesting performance, this kind of contradiction with his character, this kind of doctor that's doing good, and underneath he is Doctor Who is great as a villain. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so you have kind of that transition. And I think there's always the kind of idea when you have something like that, when you have such a good performance initially, there's kind of that fear of, Oh, when they change, the one that follows isn't going to be as good. Yeah. And it just... It's just such a whirlwind to go from this kind of Jacoby performance to then John Sims, who I absolutely adore. John Sims opposite David Tennant is gold. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And and as well, sort of, obviously, kind of, Jacoby plays a kind of character in that episode that's kind of quite a happy, quite neutral character. And then he just turns venomous right at the end. He does, and yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, but yeah, kind of that sound of the drums and that John Sims performance kind of in these two episodes. It really sets the bar in terms of of just I cannot see anyone else as that character but him. Mm, yeah. Like I know there have been previous versions, but I just cannot unsee John Sims. Being kind of that perfect, that perfect kind of foil to David Tennant. Mm. Um, yeah, I think. Kind of the way they function opposite each other, and it's strange to me that he only really appears kind of at the end of this season and at the end of the next season. Yeah, because I always thought there's more of him. <laughs> I often, I, I just often associate these kind of um, those two actors and those two roles as being at the heart of this kind of this. These two seasons, but the whole, the three seasons, the whole really, yeah, with Tennant, and yeah, I, they're just perfect opposite each other. I, I, I would kind of like to, just make it a respectful mention to kind of, the Misty and the Doctor thing that happens later on. Mm. Um, yeah, because I, th- I, 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 I apologize, I can't remember the the actor's name that plays Misty. Um, but I feel yeah, like, <laughs> sorry, um, I feel but, like she. And Peter Capaldi, I think they also have like a really interesting dynamic between them. I I do genuinely think that's worth mentioning because I don't think anything could come close to to Sims and Tennant, but those two give it a pretty good go. And kind of, I I, I don't mean to compliment one thing by diminishing another, but again, I think one of the things that doesn't quite work in the Chibnall era is I don't think they quite get the master right. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Um, especially coming up, I mean, we'll get to season four, but especially given kind of what happens at season four, I can't get out of my head the fact that everything that kind of comes after that with the master feels like a bit of a step backward. It does, yeah. Uh, yeah because there's, there's this real break. It feels like a breakthrough in season four with the master and and kind of the choices that David Tennant's Doctor makes. It just feels wrong to then you know come to season I think it's season thirteen fourteen and just have this new version of the master just be so cruel and so 
just I don't know, it just feels wrong when we get to that to have that character be that yeah. way. Yeah. It feels like a total reset in the wrong way. It just feels like yeah. development got put in the bin for like the sake of the status quo is that he's evil and you know <laughs> that's mm. it really. Yeah, um, the illusion of change kind of thing. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um yeah, and I think yeah, I I do I have yeah, whenever um the master and David Tennis Doctor are together, it's it's always amazing. And you, you never quite know where the scene's gonna go. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think it's just a great idea to have this sort of this maddening kind of theme tune that the the, the master has. Mm. With this, the drums and also this kind of I, I don't know what how to describe it, but this kind of this I don't know, this sort of windy sort of sound that it has as well. Mm. Um uh, but yeah, this it's something to rival the actual theme tune of the show. Yeah, like an evil version of the the theme tune. <laughs> like it has that sort of vibe to it, and it works really well. Um, I I will say about this three part three part. I think it it it's very 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 good for the most part. But I do think the resolution is very strange. Yeah, it is. Um, I agree. It feels a bit weird. A bit weird. It's a bit like. Oh, we're doing that? Oh, yeah, all right, cool. Um, kind of just feels like it. I feel like, like what happened was they had this great idea for their master's return and the stakes, and the, I feel like this is the time, this is the first time the show has really went for, like, we're a popular BBC show and we've got the, the budget to do these things. Like, it feels <laughs> that level of, like, we're do, we'll go on to, like, a, a worldwide sort of uh, um, vibe to it. Um, but... I feel I feel like the resolution just feels like they got into a corner and didn't quite know how to get out of it. Um, I it kind of I feel like the reference I keep on hearing about this episode where the Doctor becomes like Space Jesus is is, <laughs> is very funny. I do think it is quite apt for what it is. It's very out of the feel and a bit cheap. I don't think it ruins the whole thing. I just think mm. it it's just sort of an unfortunate sort of resolution. Even if I do like um, just the you know. I enjoy the final scene between uh, John Sims and David Tennant, which is very, I feel like is is the beginning of his change, because it's very mm. much an emotional kind of, just like, for the last two, like, just don't die, because like, I had, I have no one again, and I thought I had someone, and <laughs> yeah, it's just a really depressing note to end it on, but a very, a very heartfelt note, and I think a very good season overall, mm. and then we get to well, we have the we haven't really mentioned this, but the the Christmas vessels, and I feel like mm. this Christmas vessel is like kind of the, for some reason like the famous one. <laughs> it's the one that everyone wants. I feel um, this sort of the Voyage of the Damned with Kylie Minogue. A very good episode, um, but I, whenever I did hear the the um, the little trivia fact that this is the I think it's the most watched Doctor Who episode ever. Um, I don't really know how that happened, but because <laughs> uh, it's sort of a random one, not a bad one, but it's a random one that it feels. It pro- um, was probably Kylie Minogue. <laughs> it probably was, yeah. Good point. <laughs> but yeah, and I feel like I feel like this season three and then going forward is when Doctor Who was like really like on top of the world. Mm. That makes sense. Like it's yeah. from here on out, it's pretty much for this run at least. It's very kind of like this is the peak of uh, its popularity mm. and sort of people loving it and I feel like the nostalgia of our youth is is more strong going forward from here (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. so then we get to series 4 which is incredible I think it's Mm -hmm. it's you know 
it's I think it's the closest this, this show ever gets to just every episode is an all timer. <laughs> yeah. Um there I think are I so many before, in this season. They are, yeah. And I'm including the specials here as well, because uh, yeah. it's kinda hard to know where to put that really, isn't it, the specials. Um <laughs> But I think yeah, I think I mentioned before in, in texting you that doing that ranking, it's really mm-hmm. difficult to not just pick entire seasons sometimes. I feel like every <laughs> doctor has their season where it's just is nail it the entire way um yeah and i think this one is a real highlight and i think it's it's hard to really pick one i think you know there's i love the the silence in the library i love midnight uh turn left um there's so many great ones in this season um Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's i feel like the, the biggest part about that is donna as a companion brings such a a different feeling to the show um than previously that we had seen. Um, this sort of this... I don't know how to put it. It's more comedic, but surprisingly more serious at times. Um, I think the Doctor and Donna being together is just an amazing back and forth that never is boring. I feel like that's the mm. the thing with companions. Sometimes you can, you can get a bit stale and a bit kind of like, oh yeah, this is what they do. This is their bickering back and forth. But the Donna and the Doctor... That's just a great back and forth that it never gets boring. Um, mm. uh, I just it, love their, yeah. I just love their first re-meeting where they see each other through the window, and they're, they're <laughs> yeah. mouthing the words to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true, and I think it's one of the things where, when they said that they were bringing back Don, um, Donna Noble as well as David Tennant mm. for this like the sixtieth anniversary special next year. It just feels so right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do agree with you. That kind of just absolutely bickering, almost the verge of hating each other back and forth they have, is gold. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like as well, this this series has this kind of... Because I think even uh, before... Well, he knew by this point, I think, but T. Davis was about to leave, kind mm. of. Um I like the idea that this series ends with a, a Doctor Who Infinity War sort of situation. Yeah, <laughs> um, where every character has their has their moment and comes into the, the into the TARDIS, and I think there's, I think it's a quite amazing and quite a, a very heartwarming um, note to end that sort of arc on or the whole series on really, where uh, they fly the TARDIS together, and it's mm. actually being properly done and not the way the Doctor does it because it's you know one person flying a twelve person apparently ship that's meant to be flown by 12 people yeah. um, and I think it's a whole moment that happens um, and I think it just I think it makes the following so heartbreaking because the ending to Donna as a companion is so it's not like it's not quite like Rose where it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. um, I feel like a doom romance sort of thing but at least they had each other for that time and it's not like Martha where she kind of grows to realise she, she has to leave this guy who's gonna Kind of, kind of make it go crazy, <laughs> I guess. Um, mm. But this idea that she can't even remember anything she did um, with the Doctor is such a sad note to end it on. Mm. Um, it's so sad and so like because they did so many things together, and also the character is so built upon the idea that she believes this is not important at all, and she's just sort of like a person amongst many people in life, and is not has no worth at all, and mm. yet she's like. To save the universe, and she has no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's such a depressing note, and I think it defines the 
the following specials and especially his final kind of um, mm. uh, final two or three episodes where it's so he decides to kind of give up being with people and I think it's such a, a great concept to end this sort of run on where the doctor without a companion and how that kind of has an effect on him that's quite negative mm-hmm. um, I think it's kind of a genius idea um, that the doctor needs a companion and without that he goes too far <laughs> and makes some very big mistakes near the end um, yeah yeah this series is, it's really good <laughs> yeah it, is. It, it, it does definitely feel like the culmination of everything that Russell, Russell T Davies puts into it but as well as, as well David Tennant hmm. um, because kind of from silence in the library on it's it's hit after hit <laughs> Yeah. You know, we talk about big swings and you're inevitably going to get a missus. From from episode 8 in, big swings and big hits all the way around. Yeah. <laughs> they don't stop coming. Um, yeah. And it's strange to me that kind of in the build-up to David Tennant's kind of final run, that's when kind of we get introduced to um, River Song. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I it's, always forget it's strange, that. It's isn't like, it? It's the big season of this. Oh, this is this is Donna Noble, this is David Tennant. Um, it's it's his final run. It's his big season. Oh yeah, and by the way, there was River Song. Yeah, <laughs> like because when I think of the River Song character, I think of her more often with Matt Smith or mm, even yeah. uh, Peter Capaldi, and I always forget that her very first appearance with David Tennant. And mm. like, because I think they even like also at some points they do mention the fact that she dies in the past slash future, um, <laughs> and they also have like a like a flashback sort of scene, and then the scene David Tennant look at River Song, it's just a weird thing now. Like I think honestly back then it wasn't, but looking back mm. it's so like, oh yeah, she was around for that era too. Like he's mm. a big part of this, and um, and also just very well cast, and I think. For the most part, a really well-used character, I think. Mm. Um, I always look forward to a uh, River Song uh, episode, because I feel like, especially with Moffat, because I feel like he just loves that character, and it feels like, similar to the Angels, it's like his baby sort of mm. thing. Um, yeah. I feel like having him being, her, that character being written by anyone else going forward just feels off, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, it. yeah, it's a season of, like, it introduces things, and it says goodbye to a lot of things at the same time it feels like a very I don't know it feels like a very important season of like saying goodbye by bring, bringing everyone back for one last sort of lap um, yeah and I think it works really well because I think you get you get Jack Harkness so you get uh, Rose you get Martha you get so many characters coming back and having their moment and having their sort of arcs kind of have a nice little finish to them I think Rose especially gets that with um, yeah. the human doctor um, definitely yeah and yeah. I think, I think the thing is with it as well. It's, I think it's this this perfect culmination of all you said with all the characters coming back in this big story, and then you have the season, and then you kind of have David Tennant's episodes, final episodes, feel like a bit of an epilogue. Mm, yeah. In a way, in like a good epilogue, is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. But like that kind of you have all the characters come back for these this kind of big final few episodes with the big battle. Um. And then, kind of, he he kind of gets through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you have this this kind of these quieter episodes, um, which for me are, you know, they they broke me at the 
time, yeah. and they still broke. They still break me still. I mean, obviously the, the, mm. the kind of the main season four episodes are phenomenal, but it is yeah. them those kind of those final three episodes with him that I always think of and think that's just that just hits me every time. Mm. Um, I love yeah. Waters of Mars. Waters of Mars as an episode, as a standalone episode, might be it might be my favourite standalone episode. Mm, right. Um, I, I love it too. Yeah, I think it's it's such an interesting concept, and I think this perfectly articulates the entire idea of what the Doctor is without a companion or someone to guide him. Mm. I mean, I mean, honestly, it feels weird because it's between there are all these kind of absolute top tier episodes of the David Tennant, Russell T Davies era, mm. and then it, it kind of feels weird to me because it's always kind of between it's between Waters of Mars. His final episode, and then God's um, heaven sent. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> it, it feels weird. That I've got all these, I've got all these episodes from this era fighting, like basically just against this one episode that's like five seasons later. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, Waters of Mars is one of my favourites just because of that absolute gut puncher and ending. Mm. It's absolutely perfect in the. In the have. You have this kind of this traditional big arc from the Doctor, where he kind of forces himself to become the hero, and he thinks he's doing the right thing, and he's finally kind of so convinced that he's doing the right thing, so much so that he just stops listening to everyone else and he just forgets. Yeah, he might be doing technically the right thing or whatever, but he kind of just almost forgets in his traumatized, traumatized state the philosophies yeah. that have guided him up until that point and then he's just suddenly and brutally reminded of it when he hears that gunshot mm. yeah it I, shook yeah. me at the time and weirdly not sadistically but when I watched it like kind of on rewatch I kind of just actually just weirdly smiled at that moment mm. I know <laughs> what you mean the, yeah. it's one of those big moments like holy shit that's perfect yeah because it's like <laughs> holy hell that's as much perfect. as as much as like it, it, it makes sense and it's satisfying, not satisfying, but like depressing and like it's satisfying, I guess, not to end the story on it and what it's saying. Mm. Um, all that, I think the most surprising bit of it is you, you didn't expect it to happen in Doctor mm. Who. Um, yeah, no, you don't, that's true. It's just not a Doctor Who thing you do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I just love his reaction of like, I've went too far, he, he knows that in the moment. Mm. Um, and I love as well the, just this. I just really love it when before that happens, there's the arrogance that's coming out of him when he's talking to that character, and there's the amount of like tough, like I can do it, it's fine, I'm the doctor. <laughs> like he's like he's totally this lost concept of like the rules and also what he is. Mm. Um, and I think it's just a brilliant scene, and it's just like a, I think yeah, I think the the line that I love the most from that whole thing is like, uh, but you can't do that also for that sense. He's it's goes tough. He just, he just says that. I, I, mm. I tough. Um, the time lord, uh, victorious. I think he calls himself. Um, oh yeah, he says, I always thought I was the survivor, but I realize I'm actually the winner, which is mm. such like a perfect like moment, like line to really tell you what this guy's just thinking right at the moment and what's kind of melting in his brain, <laughs> like what's yeah. kind of going away. What yeah. I love about him and having that moment of like he's went too far and he he, he realizes that and then. Having that going to the finale, I think, I think adds such a, a need for this the character to re- redeem himself almost. 
Um, mm. And I think a part of that is, I think I think this comes back time and again with the the last story of any Doctor. I think the Doctor going into the final story needs to know that they're going to die. Mm. Um, I think there's something about that that works a lot better than it just happening. Um, there needs to be some sort of timey wimey like some. There needs to be something, a fixed point in time where like you can't avoid this and you will die. Yeah. Um, and I, the idea of the four knocks is incredible, <laughs> and it's so heartbreaking. I remember because I happened to, I think I went home at this point for Christmas when I got to this point in the show. Mm. Um, so I watched the End of Time Part One and Part Two with my family, and that's so weird because aware... I ended up doing the same thing as well. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. Even I was watching them. I, I went home for Christmas and I watched it with my mum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, my my mum had the reaction of like she was so like into the idea of like the four knocks and what it could mean, and then when it came about what it actually is was Wolf, it's Wilfred knocking on the door. Yeah, I remember her reaction being like ah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like this genuine shock, like shock and like oh like this because it's so heart crushing. It's like you hear four knocks is going to be the end of you or whatever, and mm. you think oh the Time Lords, the Master, some new alien. I don't know. It's going to be something like a villain. And then how it be Wilfred just getting out of a glass box and the doctor can't say no because of course you can't say no because it's, it's him he's gonna save him mm. and it's a shame because <laughs> even the the performance is so good because David Tennant has, has that moment before the four knock figures goes I'm alive I made yeah. it like he's so relieved but a bit like on the edge like what's gonna happen next because it might be I might, I might be wrong. And then just having the four knocks be, not be this like big clang, just have this like very subtle, da, 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 da. like that's all it is, <laughs> and it's so like oh okay, <laughs> that's it. Um, so I think even at the time, David Tennant was so like he wanted he was going to leave and he announced that, but I think there was at the time I could be wrong, but I feel like there was an air at the time of like he might stay, <laughs> yeah. He so he loves it so much, and I feel like he even post like the his run it's been revealed I think that he, he was gonna come back season 5 almost but he thought no I might I should leave with Russell because it just makes sense to leave, to leave mm. in when the era ends if that makes sense yeah um, and yeah I just it's just a yeah a great moment I think a great final not speech but just a anger that comes out of him and when he's mm. like I could do so much more why am I dying for the sake of this one guy and and then when he actually does it and he does it with you know does it so like oh yeah I'm doing it because of course I am <laughs> like um, it's so good and a perfect sort of end to the character um, and then yeah, of course I think you get the it's, final it's the perfect way to end kind of Russell T Davis tenure as well mm, yeah. in terms of you know he's the guy that kind of the showrunner that brought the whole show back and he's the one that kind of presented it to almost like a new audience well it was a new audience for, for me and you presenting it to a new audience and trying to encapsulate everything that Doctor Who kind of is mm. and for me it, it, it's it's this this is an absolute cornerstone right at the core of what Doctor Who is and having kind of this final few runs just in the name of of good of doing good mm. To have that kind of be at the core, even even in the tragedy of the kind of the final few episodes, in that ultimately it's just an act of <clears throat> it's an act of thoughtless kindness. Yeah, yeah. That kills him. It's just, it's just yeah. There's just something it, perfect but heartbreaking about it. Hmm. I think it's perfectly like Russell T Davis, where it's not 
it's in part, yes, he tried to, you know, save the universe from the Time Wars coming back in this big epic, like, final showdown, which could have easily also been the ending to the character, but I love that it just comes down to a very simple one guy. It just isn't one guy who's quite nice to die. Um, it's just so simple and it works so well. Um, and it's such a, a nice goodbye and such a... And also, I just love the actual final scene uh, in that era, which is obviously the handoff to Matt Smith, but also the final line of I don't want to go, mm, which is so yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I I, um, I love as well that, because obviously it's heartbreaking, and in the moment it's very kind of sad, but I love like um, going forward to the next Doctors, whenever they mention um, they were, like that sort of run and not wanting, not wanting to go on that whole fake-out regeneration, the idea that they look back on that era and think about the doctors having vanity issues, um, <laughs> I find very funny. Because um, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I guess he's probably the most vain because he's kind of like, he's the most like doctor that just doesn't want to go, literally. Mm. Um, I think everyone else at some point accepts it, but I don't think, he does accept it, but I don't think he he quite wants to go <laughs> at the end because he says that. <laughs> and he's very emotional about it in a way that I think doctors kind of going forward don't get that emotional about it um so yeah it's kind of interesting and very this very raw sort of ending to the character <laughs> in a weird yeah. way mm-hmm. i feel like it's a nice point to stop yeah there is eight seasons left <laughs> yeah right i feel bad stopping his mid flow but I, I feel i feel like i got i gotta gotta keep a hand on it practically <laughs> no, I mean, if guess we do have two weeks worth of content now, we know what we're doing. We do. We have two. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. Bring it home, I guess. Now. Yeah, yeah. We can we can bring it yeah. home. But tune in next week. <laughs> tune in next week. <laughs> so yeah, we're finishing here at the Russell T Davis era, and then next week we're going to pick it up with the the Moffat era, and I guess maybe the Chibnall era. Um, we'll see. I mean, it, we'll it feels see. weird doing like a whole episode dedicated to two seasons. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, mm. Yeah, so yeah, we'll stop it here for a bit and then we'll come back to you next week. Look forward to that. Tune in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, let us know what you think about the, this area of Doctor Who and this, the show genuinely. Um, Please do. Or do you have some controversial opinions? Maybe you hate their return as a Doctor. Hmm? How do could you? <laughs> You never know. They do How exist, could you maybe. say such heresy? <laughs> maybe they exist, I don't know. Um, we'll find out, maybe. Um, so yeah, let us know. Get in contact. Uh, once again, oh yeah, at Marvelous in a Podcast Instagram account. Um, give us a follow there. Uh, doing a lot of rankings recently, so let us know what you think about that. Um, but yeah, thank you and goodbye for now. Yeah, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. <laughs>